Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode eight of the Business Line podcast. My name is Brian. And you know my name. It's Manny. <laughs> That's Manny. Hey, um, we're super excited to talk about our guest today. We're going to have a lot of fun. Our guest is Chris Joyce. He's got over 23,000 LinkedIn followers. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Gusher. Gusher is a simple, quick, and easy way to create and build a startup without the need for investors and without the need for capital. How in the world do they do that? Because you normally think that's impossible. Gusher helps entrepreneurs to create and launch startups using performance-based equity. We're going to learn all about that in our meeting today with, with Chris. Everything from tech to media to health to design, finance, gaming, you name it, Gusher can help folks get their startup off the ground. Yeah, and he is a founder of 24 companies and counting. His products have been sold in more than like 11,000 stores in 23 countries. He has users of his tech products in 148 countries across the globe. I mean, that's great. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. So he's got companies running into the same issue over and over. The best ideas and entrepreneurs are not having and getting the funding they need. So he's all about connecting the people with the ideas with the people that they need to get those ideas off the ground. Yeah. So should we bring him in? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, go time? yeah. All right, let's bring in Chris. How you doing, bud? Uh, Manny brought a cricket bat in. Um, I don't know the the wide angle camera can probably see it, but yeah, so don't maybe, worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Okay. Let's get rolling. Do it so up. Chris, um, introduce yourself. Uh, let us know a little bit about, uh, about what you're doing right now. But what I can't wait to hear about is kind of, you know, the old times where you started, how you started. You know? Sure, sure, sure. I, I'm Chris Joyce. I'm founder and CEO of Gusher. Um, I'm founder and CEO also of more than 24 other companies in all different industries, everything from consumer goods, manufacturing, SaaS, fintech, medical devices, you name it. Uh, my products have been sold across the globe uh, in pretty much every damn country. I've got users, <laughs> and that's about me in a nutshell, the quick version of it. I start companies, start a lot of them. Start companies. Now, you, I, I doubt you you came out of the womb starting companies, but maybe really, maybe really close to that. Yeah. So... Tell tell us about the the early days. How long have you been in this game? You know, when did you get started in in the world of you know what was your first? Let's do this. What was your first job? Sure. Well, my first deal was actually when I was six years old. I kid you not. Okay. Uh, I, I had a Spider Man comic book. I remember it to this day. I can't remember the number of the Spider Man comic book, but in the back they had you know basically the equivalent of a classified ad section. Uh, and there was a biz op in there that said, send in $5 and get 50 packs of burpee seeds. And burpee seeds were like watermelon seeds, sunflower seeds, okay. flowers. Uh, and then I sold those door to door for a dollar a piece on an Air Force base, uh, grossed 50 bucks, netted 45, and I was off to the races. You, you can't beat that. No, you can't. You sound like, well, I got to tell you this too. So similar story, my daughter, Aria, who's 10 now, but she started doing this at about eight and a half, but about five, at about five or really three, we, she, we could tell she could draw. Now we found out a few years later, she's fully dyslexic. Even at this time, we've got a tutor really trying to get her into the reading, you know, just because it's so important in life, but she's incredibly artistic. Um, a couple of years back, she found clay. She started playing around with clay and then she's spending hours a day. You know, before I guarantee she's already got her 10,000 hours in before you know it, she's making these small little intricate creatures and things and they look, they look amazing. Like something you'd buy at a store. Yeah. So she starts making them to earrings and she starts making them into necklaces and she's wearing them. And I'm like, hon, you should be showing these to people before you know it. She's putting stuff on mom's Facebook page and people are requesting. 
So she was at, she did a craft fair this year, made a few hundred bucks and she donates half of everything she makes to down syndrome charities. Cause our other daughter has down syndrome, but sure. man, she is a little firecracker. Like I, I can't get her to waste time anymore. Like any other kid, she's in the clubhouse I built for her every day in the backyard for three to four hours making inventory. And what's great about that is you didn't have to pull her up the mountain. You weren't forcing no. her to do that in any way, shape or fashion. So it just kind of took off naturally. Yep. And that's what you really, you cultivate. That's the way you do it. And you know, with my son, he's super jealous. He's like, dad, I'm, I'm useless. I got, I got nothing I'm good at. I want to be good at so he's like trying to be good at other things what if grandma shows me how to crochet i go buddy if you want to crochet and think you're going to make some money go for it that yeah. lasted five minutes you know with, with my house. kids it was a little bit different so my youngest he was six also all right six yeah. seven uh and it was right before covid and he had not kind of similar to your daughter but not he decided to make these sand sculptures but instead, the type that's like, I can't, the micro sand that kind of forms yeah. and sticks to itself. So we ended yeah. up taking a mold, uh, going ahead and just stamping them out, putting them on a table. He went out front in the driveway, just stayed there at the table for a couple hours until somebody finally came by, gave him <laughs> money for it. And then sure enough, the other brothers jump in. They start bringing out other product. They start making signage. They do everything else, just like yep. a normal business. The first person has to sit out there a long time themselves. And yep. then sure enough, it was a viable thing. And they've done it a couple times. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my uh, youngest son, again, who's now nine, uh, nine or 10, uh, he went ahead and just did a lemonade stand, a basic little thing. But the little effort grossed 200 bucks in like an hour and a half. Right. $200 in an hour and a half. Yeah. He's got, they got the flywheels going. That's what yeah, I talk, yeah, That's yeah. what I say. I, told, I was talking to Manny about that the other day. Remember Manny, I told you about the flywheel concept. It takes a lot of time and energy to get it rolling, but 100%. not near as much to keep mm -hmm. it going. Cool. Okay. So you started at six, um, <laughs> got your first deal, closed your first deal. Good job. Started drinking coffee right after that. And then- I actually just quit coffee recently, just an FYI. Did you? About eight, nine weeks ago. The hardest thing ever. So, so are you done with caffeine? I'm done totally? with caffeine. Yeah. How do you feel? I heard uh, it's it like was hell different. for the first two weeks. I mean, it was headaches, everything else. But I was like, I never used to drink coffee in my 20s or anything else. I never yeah. needed it for energy. I'm like, why the hell am I drinking this now? So I just stopped cold turkey. So what? where are you at now? Um, it, with coffee? Well, in general, like uh, feeling like I've 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 yeah. listened to some people talk about how there's it's just a kind of a different situation without. Well, it, it was basically a, a I used it as a pre workout. I used it you know throughout the day. I mean, I had ten cups of coffee a day. Uh, so yeah. stopping caffeine, you know, for me, cold turkey, that was really rough. Um, it dropped my strength levels by about 20%. It took about six eight weeks to get the strength levels back, uh, but emotional state just completely stable. Uh, there's yeah. no big ups and downs. It's just very smooth, very smooth. Hmm. hmm. Cool. I've thought about that a lot because it's not, you know, it's not that like I like it, like it, like it, but, you know, I don't like to depend on anything either. So it's really weird not having that ritual in the morning. Uh, right? So it's, it's like you, you actually physically miss it. I don't mean just the withdrawals. I mean that, hey, you've got a warm cup of coffee or, hey, it's a cold morning and you, you have that cup of coffee there to right. start your day. Yeah. I remember years ago, I was drinking coffee heavy and I weaned back and I was just, I went back to green tea. That's what I was doing because yeah. it gave me the ritual without the really higher, high levels of caffeine. You know, caf coffee works differently for me. If I have to, you know, like I, I don't drink it, you know, yeah, to yeah. wake up, Yeah. but I just drink it, you know, like, okay, it's a morning ritual. But yeah. if I want to sleep, 
you know like if i'm not able to uh, sleep you know at right like the other day i was up at around 2 o'clock i watched tv you know like did something but still i was not feeling sleepy at that time i just you know like go and grab a black coffee and then i'm sleep really? sleepy within 15 minutes hmm. it works differently for me you know like if i want to sleep i can drink coffee and not i can sleep are. but yeah if i want to relax and you know just do my normal ritual i wow. can do that yeah Okay. But yeah anyway so you Steady so, so Chris uh, so you have opened so many companies you founded so many companies so how many companies in total you have founded and are you still actively working for those I mean Sure working? I mean directly myself I mean I found I found I stopped counting at 24 there's been more okay. of them uh but literally on our platform we've got more than 350 companies so we have equity positions as portfolio companies in more than 350 companies across the globe every vertical every type uh everything you can possibly think of so we create and launch companies almost daily it's what we what we physically do that's our main business is creating and launching companies so creating and launching companies for yourself or for other people well it's kind of in conjunction so gusher itself is what's called a performance based equity platform so what we do is people join companies in exchange for performance based equity they don't get anything in the company unless the company launches successfully and we're a performance based equity player so we don't get any equity in these companies unless they're able to be successful in the marketplace so usually what i tell a founder is is that imagine that you had a million or 2 million in the bank account and then gusher that uh because we do it all day every day they don't need money they don't need to have all this money or investment or anything else we show them how to get to about 10 million in sales revenue using nothing zippo nada and you don't you don't need anything mm. so what's the criteria for these companies to be on gusher i mean you know this must be sure some... well you, you definitely yeah. need to have like a c corporation in the us uh we have a lot of international founders but you can own a c corporation in the in the us the way it's done and and the legal framework that we had to create uh with the sec in the states and everything else mm -hmm. uh but other than that what we really do is just in terms of due diligence we let the market really decide so one thing we don't do is we don't take on anything that physically harms somebody so you can't create a landmine company and uh new type of thing like that and on gusher cuz we just wouldn't allow that but when it comes to anything else it's really a factor of whether or not a person a founder can attract somebody into their company for performance based equity if they can do that uh we've got a saying 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 2 1 plus 1 equals done those are the companies that are able to succeed that are able to go on able to penetrate the market uh because if you're able to master that pitch to bring on somebody into your idea there you really master the fundamentals of how to sell yourself of how to present yourself in the company in a certain way and that's really what you need you need people that really are buying into the idea at the very beginning stages so a company comes to you, a guy comes to you with an idea and you know like they start you give them your space so the next step for them is to find people who are you know ready to buy their idea and work with them to launch their company right this is how it works well kind of think of it like this so our our company what we do is we provide them applicant flow uh we teach them all these different things that actually enable them to do it there's about 300 plus different micro steps from taking a company from ideation through launch and getting them uh, into the marketplace to where they're actually doing business but the main thing i mean that the main criteria is the ability to recruit to tell that story and the vast majority of people don't know how to do that and so in the initial stages our emphasis is really teaching them and helping them do it we provide the applicant flows we help figure out what's called the vim 
the vested interest market. Those are the people that have the most to gain from the success or failure of that company. And what you should do is build up your company using Vim. Uh, and also the same thing as you go into the future with your initial markets and launches and stuff like that. So that means, you know, like you are, you are looking for serious people, serious entrepreneurs who have really good ideas who can, you know, launch their company. Well, believe it or not, you, you would think that, okay? But, but the one thing that we've seen is that something that, that we internally may think, oh, this is a great idea. Oh, this is going to be a home run. Mm -hmm. uh, the second that you bring that human, uh, human decision-making or judgment into uh, the deal itself, almost always were wrong. So what ends up happening is, and, and we have a, a, another saying about this, uh, bad ideas lead to good ideas. The, the bad ideas have to be there because that's really the, the fertilizer for the good ideas. Nobody says and, and it comes up with something and they have this great idea and this wonderful idea. Usually what happens is they have an okay idea. All right. And that okay idea, as they start bringing people that really know what the hell they're doing, starts to take on the idea of, of being something better, something more. Uh, they start refining it. They started making it better. Kind of like my kids in the in the uh, driveway where the one kid has an idea, the other kid brings the sign, the other kid brings the table. They mm -hmm. start bringing more products. They start determining what sells. It's the same type of thing, you know, just on a different level. So even if a bad idea, you know, it, it, it's horrible, it stinks, and I don't fundamentally believe in it, we'll still put it up there because, believe it or not, uh, there are people that that may resonate with, and who the hell are we to say? Let the market decide. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from, your, from the idea stage to the launch stage uh, for a company, for an idea, so you help every bit of the way, and... How do you make money with that? I mean, like if the, okay, I, I have a great idea. I think, you know, I have a great idea, but I'm not able to launch it. I'm not, you know, I'm not able to buy other people, you know, with my idea, you know, to ready to work with me. So it's a, like, it won't launch. So how do you, and you still help those people. So how, how do well, you well, make money with that? Well, think of it this way, okay? So we feel everything from an 80-year-old uh, grandma in South Africa to 20-year-old Villanova students be able to create and launch companies successfully. Uh, and, and the whole point is, is that you're not supposed to know this. Uh, you're not supposed to know how to do it and the process and everything else. But each company is different, but the same. So meaning that we have a certain a certain process, and it is, it's very process driven as to how to take a company from this ideation, from this raw stage to the following stages, to make it a, a, a viable product in the marketplace, a viable self-sustaining company in the marketplace. And doing that is something that, that does involve a lot of hand-holding, but that's what our system walks them through. So with the second that a founder actually sees and brings on that one person for performance-based equity, it's like suddenly the light bulb goes off in their head and they're like, oh my God, uh, what you told me is true. This can be done. Uh, I didn't need money. And how the hell is this possible? Because it is possible. I had two people, uh, two females, they were great founders. Um, they're creating like a, a new type of textile, something in the fashion industry. And when they first came into Gusher, they're like, this is total BS. There's no way. I know the industry and I know the industry. And they're telling me that the way it's done. And I'm like, listen, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Follow this step by step. We'll work it through. And sure enough, they didn't just be able to get the company and create the, the MVP, not minimal viable product, but market viable product. They're able to go ahead and get the financing to go ahead and expand, to do it. And they're about to hit the market and launch. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this actually worked. Uh, basically, and the light bulb went off in their head and they're like, phenomenal. 
And and literally, they were the most negative people. They're on the platform telling me this can't work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, we've done it hundreds of times. So you're no different. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that's so when it gets to the point where these companies are uh, are equitable, are making money, that's that's where Gusher starts to make a little bit. And that's how you guys. Well, think of it this way. Like Manny asked me how, how we make money. I didn't go into that. But basically, yeah, yeah. we are equity holders in these companies. Yeah, right. So we're very long-term players. We're, we're not here yep. for a, a quick flip or anything else like that. And we've got one of the fastest growing dog food companies in the world right now. I mean, they're growing more than 30% month over month across the U.S. But a dog food company, you'd say to yourself, my God, this is a capital-intensive industry. This is something that there's been in embedded players, entrenched players for more than 100 years. Uh, they don't like to give up real estate. They don't like people to come into their territory. And that's the type of thing that we created with them. And sure enough, it's it's taken off like a rocket. I mean, a, a year and a half later, they're getting national distribution. They're everywhere. We're not looking for like a, a paycheck from it right now. We're really creating a very large index of fund uh, of companies mm -hmm. that we have ownership in. That's really what we're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you a believer, Manny? Mm-hmm. Are you a believer now? Yeah, I want to just you know open my laptop and apply. Come up some with yeah. come up with some ideas. Yeah, you don't even Maybe. need a good idea, Manny. You just need to start. <laughs> with that. But hear me out. And and the reason is is that the the people don't don't join companies in the very beginning stages because oh you've got a great financial model and oh you've got a great business model and oh yeah I definitely see it. No, they they do it because of you. All right, you. Okay. So in effect, they're buying you. And typically, people that join these companies, they're not people that are, let's say, desperate. Uh, they're typically people that are that at the top of their game. And what they're really looking to do is join something that they have impact on, joining something that they have another horse in the race, becoming part of something that is almost like they're shot at the big time. And so they don't have that in their day-to-day -day job. And so, yeah, they're willing to pull that sled and help pull that sled up the mountain willingly. So long as, as they believe in the founder and what they're doing. And it's not transactional. It's more like dating. It's more like internet dating. Yeah. So, you know, like, okay, these founders, these guys with ideas, how do you, you know, like bring the people who want to work for these founders, I mean, together? Okay, well, let's I use mean, the that's... dog food company as an example, okay. right? So I, I won't go into detail, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. So... Uh, the guy's name is Colin Buckley, the founder. And Colin came to me uh, a while back and he had this sick dog, right? And I'll tell this in a story way so that you actually see what the process is. So he went ahead, he has his sick dog and he brings his, uh, brings it to me and, 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 uh, and he's had the sick dog and he goes, uh, takes it to the veterinarian. And the veterinarian said, Hey, Colin, put your dog on this dog food. Dog wouldn't eat it. Then put your dog on this other dog food. Dog wouldn't eat it. Puts dog on third dog food. Dog wouldn't eat it. Dog's dying. The dog is not like some old dog. The dog is like a puppy, all right? So mm -hmm. Colin, in desperation, hacks together his dog food, uh, his own dog food, in his kitchen for two, three, four months. The dog magically comes to life over three, four, five months. Now, there's a big difference between taking a product that's made in your kitchen uh, that you're giving your dog and making it for mass merchandising and distribution. He mm -hmm. came to me and said, hey, I want to start a dog food company. Now, as I said earlier, dog food companies are, are vicious. It's hard to penetrate that industry. But I said, sure, let's do a dog food company. So he did not listen to me. And he brings in this team of people that have managed 50 million, 100 million, 200 million dollar budgets, companies that you know. And literally the company imploded six weeks later. All right. 
He was a little bit more humble. He then listens to me as to how to build up his next team. His next team, his company's taken off like a rocket. They're penetrating, having national distribution, taking over market share left and right. His second team all had something in common. This is not a trick question. All had something in common. The first team did not. I want you to think like an eight-year-old, okay? Think like an eight-year-old. Second team all had something in common. The first team did not. It's a dog food company. What do you think they all had in common? Dog lovers? Say that? Dog lovers? What they did, they dog owners, all right? Yeah, but they're more yeah. than dog owners. They weren't, they didn't have, they were dog parents. They didn't have kids. So they were right. dog so they zealots. Were all about the dog. They one. ate yeah. dog, breed dog, live dog, poop dog. They knew everything about dogs. So for them, they were the vested interest market, the VIM, what we call the VIM. They have the most to gain from the success or failure of that company. And more importantly, there's a shorthand between all the people. So it's not transactional, it's literally something that they get behind passionately, and that makes a difference. And when you put teams together that are made up of them, you have much, much higher success rates than any other type of company. Okay, Manny, before we go on, I'm just gonna plant this little seed because this is what we've been talking about with you know, with our company since since we started back in 2016, we've always had this goal we're shooting for, and we we're getting there. And it's not always a straight line; it's a little bit of this and a little bit of never straight a little line. bit, right? So, but more, you know, it's like we're getting around more people. But think about what we we need them in order to get there to to create that right model, right? If you think about it, that's yeah, that's what we have been talking about. But you know, like what I'm interested in is how does Gusher find them? Yeah, you know, does, what's your process to find them? You know, like mm -hmm. bring these two people together, these two, you know, like so great idea and them. So this, this is the thing. There's mm -hmm. two mechanisms. There's uh, organic inbound traffic, meaning that people see the listings. People, we're, we're indexed all over the place and people apply based upon the role descriptions and what they say because it talks to them. So those role mm -hmm. descriptions are very important. They're not like job descriptions, they're role descriptions. They're explaining really what the company's about, what it is. Um, there's videos that, that typically go along with it as a founder to see because the people that you're gonna resonate with are much different than the people that I'm gonna resonate with most times. So that's very, very key. But also there's another system basically, and it doesn't cost anything, it's basically an outbound system called whale hunting, okay? Long before there was Gusher, this is the way I used to build up companies on AOL and CompuServe back in the day, if you remember Now we're those, talking, right? <laughs> now we're so, talking. Yeah, so back then they had membership <laughs> directories and there's very specific techniques on how to reach out to go ahead and whale hunt. And you hunt certain people that have certain skill sets in a certain way uh, and the closing rates are very, very high. And there's another thing that literally just simply asking people to help you, which most people are not comfortable with doing, that in and of itself uh, humanizes you and makes it a hell of a lot faster. Uh, I remember I had one company, uh, it ended up becoming the largest of its kind in the world. Um, and I asked the, the gentleman who became my partner years later why he helped me. And he said, literally, he goes, you asked for help. He goes, that's it. And I go, that's it? Uh, that's the only reason? And this was via, via email. I never even saw him for the first three years of business. Um, so, and that grew into the largest low carb company in the world. And so I said, you know, why? And he said, just because you asked for it, you need it. So people like to help. 
you know, and it's just getting them involved. So if, if and other people are telling you, no, it can't be done or shouldn't be done or wouldn't be done. You know, I'm not sitting here telling you about the 499 food chemists that told me to go F myself, that told me it shouldn't be done, it wouldn't be done, because that's what happened. But there was one guy that actually did say yes. And guess what? He ended up creating, inventing the products, and we created an industry off that. I don't know if you can see the goosebumps on it, but yeah, you get all that's, fired up. Yeah, yeah, because that's important. You got to you have to talk to people and a lot of people and people don't understand how many people you have to talk to. There's you have to talk to a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So you get my next at. question, you know, about your about Gusher is, you know, like why this cap of only, you know, like US based business? I mean, this is a great idea. What you're doing yeah, well, is really it this good. Way. So, so th it's not only US based. So we have founders across the globe. All right. Uh, okay. for fa international founders make up approximately 40% of our companies. Uh, our teams are made up everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. So meaning approximately 80% of our teams are made up from people outside the United States, okay? Approximately proportionally, depending. It, it depends. You okay. can't do it because there's securities laws in different countries. And to make a long story short, it gets extremely complex. Uh, we had to, between our alpha version and our beta version, take about 18 months to get that complexity uh, to where we could go ahead and launch and do it the right way. Because our alpha version was just a test to see if it worked took off like a rocket, but we took it down for about 15, 18 months to make damn sure we could develop the legal framework to do it. And so that's really why. It's not a sim simple thing legally in a lot of the countries across the globe. Yeah. So it, it could be anywhere, but but the incorporations happen. Incorporation and the launch will happen here in U.S. Yep. Yeah, but think right? of it this way. Even if it's at the incorporation in the U.S., most times, especially compared to Europe, the creation of a company for an incorporated in the U.S. is dramatically lower. I mean, dramatically lower than the cost that you have when you're creating a corporate structure. You can't use an LLC. It has to be a corporate structure. Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're, we've been talking a, a while now about Gusher. How did you, sure. I mean, you did a lot of stuff before that. So I'm still interested in kind of the personal journey, the personal story. Um, take me back to when, let's get, let's fast forward a little bit from six. Let's say you get out of high school. Did you do the whole college thing? Um, and did you get out, had, do a nine to five, say enough of that? I mean, what's the story there? No, I, I actually went to NYU. Uh, okay. I left Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I had a ride to NYU. Uh, that's basically it in terms of the college. The college itself, though, I, I went there to actually study Austrian economics because in NYU, there was a professor named Israel Kersner. Uh, Austrian, I read his stuff. So... He was the top, top of the game. Uh, and so I studied in Austrian economics primarily there. But during college, I never went to class. Uh, I became the youngest stockbroker ever at the time. I was 17. Uh, I was working for Oppenheimer and Smith Barney. Uh, my roommate's uh, dad happened to work at Oppenheimer. He got me a job as a cold caller. I created different calling mechanisms and methods that increased uh, their production by a factor of three uh, and parlayed that into a Series 7, Series 63, Series 3. Uh, and that was really the last time I had a quote unquote job. I just couldn't I couldn't stand selling other people's stuff. I just couldn't do it. I hated it. I absolutely yeah. hated it. And so we had some other companies that we literally just walked around New York City, put some flyers on cars and the next month we had 50 grand in business and that was much more substantial and we started creating what are called audio tech service bureaus and hubs uh, for voice messaging systems and that was hmm. the first real tech companies I did 
Okay. Okay. So you created so many companies. So what's the idea behind you know like Gusher? Why did you create Gusher? Well, I, I mean, well, it, I think it goes really, really way back. The story that I tell is really two examples. One, seeing my mom grow up in Ohio, trying to go ahead and and cover the roof over our heads on a salary for being a low level secretarial for a secretary for the government at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Well, that was hard to see. It was hard to see because she always had these brilliant business ideas in hindsight that were ahead of the curve. I mean, she was just before her time and she couldn't make it happen. There was no such thing as a venture capital ecosystem in Ohio. I was just back there three, four weeks ago. There still isn't in Ohio. Right. She yeah. was a female in the 80s as I was growing up. So good luck on getting female financing. So it, it took her a very long time. Now, in her 50s, okay, she made FU money, uh, finally. All right. So that was a good thing. But watching her have that experience was rough. I mean, because for me, it was just the exact opposite. Everything I touched, I was able to do. Uh, I mean, literally every company I touched, I was able to create and go. I never had a, a dead on arrival company or anything else like that. Some didn't go ahead and meet expectations, but I never had trouble doing anything, getting the companies going. So a couple of years ago, I was at a, a law office that was um, throwing a venture capital conference, and there was a group of entrepreneurs. It was in Washington, D.C. Uh, they didn't look like everyone else. They didn't talk like everyone else. They didn't sound like everyone else. They didn't wear hoodies and attend Stanford. Uh, they didn't yeah. live in New York, Silicon <laughs> Valley, or Israel. But their ideas were fucking brilliant. I mean, they were damn, damn brilliant. And they didn't know that their chances of getting venture capital funding was non-existent because it was non-existent. It wasn't going to happen. And so yeah. I said to a couple of my partners, I said, I wonder if there's a way to go ahead and show people what we do, how we build companies, because this is the way we've done it forever. It wasn't as structured as it is. It didn't have the platform in place. Uh, we called it finagling. We never needed money at all. Uh, we just would okay. finagle those deals. But what we did is we standardized it. We, 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 we turned it into a process. And I said, hey, I wonder if there's a way to show people how to do this. We created an alpha version and it just took off like a rocket. And that's basically what we did. Just trying to help people. See, the, again, the keyword is help. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You solved the problem. Yeah. We think Big so. Problem. And and how many people, like, think about, Manny, when we sat down back in 2016, and you were, you know, I don't know if you know our story, Chris, but- No, I don't. Manny, I tried to Manny, look you up. I couldn't get it in time. <laughs> yeah, you just got to watch episode one. We tried to get through some of it. We didn't get through all of it. But anyway, so- Manny had about 20 years of owning a company in India doing transcription. There so first party, second party, third party for hospitals over here in the U.S. and for yep. companies like Nuance, big big companies, right? Billion dollar companies. And my background forever was in nonprofit administration. Then I got into for-profit sales tech and things like that. that we that's met two ends of the spectrum. Right? Yeah. We met through a mutual friend and sat down and had lunch. He was looking to bring his, to start a company in US and not be the third party in the, anymore and yeah. do things in a way because transcription was dying. And it died, it was almost dead. It was dead. It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it's still dead. around, but it's basically dead compared to what it was. I didn't know what it was. So I went back after he kind of pitched me on the idea of starting a transcription company here. I saw that it was dead, but I saw there was one opportunity doctors hated using the EHRs. They don't like the software that they have to click in all day long and extra work and all this kind of stuff. I said, if we can solve that problem, we can do this. And then we can go from there. So we did that. We kind of hybrided transcription. That led to remote scribe work, which was, 
really non-existent when we started doing it. Now it's gotten big, which led to revenue cycle management and all the other things that we're doing. We're doing outsource IT the whole time because we, we knew how to do that. But, but ultimately we wanted to be, we want to save kind of the private practice market. That's, you know, the pendulum is all on the side of the big network hospital. Now they went in, they bought up private practice because doctors don't know how to run businesses right? They don't. Not their they, know how, yeah. they know how to administer care. And what happened is over time, it used to be over here on the private practice and then you had hospitals, but all the doctors were private and independent and they weren't doing a good job. Government came in, a lot of paperwork, a lot of tricky stuff. They got really bad at it, stopped making as much money. Hospital said, come work for us. You'll make just as much money and, they, so they, and we'll buy your practice. They did that. And now they're working quotas. Now they got to see 40, 50 people a day. They got to do all this paperwork that they never had to do before. And they hate it. They want to get out. So that's what they're getting out and they're retiring and then we're losing good doctors. So what this whole time, what we've been doing is trying to solve each piece of the private practice puzzle by giving these services to our clients to get to the point to where we can do it all. And overhead prices can be, you know, 25% of what they were when they were running the business themselves and just let them have a private practice administer care and let us do the rest. There and we go. just take a, a part of the, a part of the earnings. And, but if, at sitting at that table, you know, every year, the past seven years, it's been like, how do we do this? How do we do this? Do we let's just get level, started. Yeah. Let's just, let's just get started. And you know, we've, we've made it, but it's slow. You know, and every day we're like, how do we get into this? How do we get into this? So we be in, should we be trying to buy companies smaller than us to grow that way? You know, all kinds of stuff. But it's it's been a it's a process of trial and error. Well, what's been it, the major league headache for that? Um, having enough no, we could scale having enough money to scale. Well, you know no, I mean? no. So so imagine this. So take the money out of the component. What would yeah, you yeah, do with yeah. that money? What would you do with it? Uh, people. So would you bring in bodies, create a platform, and yeah, the it's, platform it's itself, people, and then platform, be able to scale yeah, that way? Absolutely. Right. So yep. you don't need that. You need people. That That's yeah. the whole point of like what we do. That's And so let me just use you as an example, right? So typically you're going to need a CTO to architect the system, whatever the hell that system is. You're going to need a, a CMO, uh, even though you may think you have an idea of the market, but you need to go ahead and identify the zealot market to begin with. Who are the people most likely to buy from you from the very beginning? Because the zealot market, you need to tap in the very beginning before you're able to create a mainstream product because those are the people that are then going to end up paying for you to create a mainstream product, okay? So you need a CMO right from the beginning. You need a creative director. Why? To be able to penetrate and say to those people, whatever the voices are, to be able to penetrate those zealot markets. Uh, you need front-end, back-end, UI, UX designers. Uh, you need a CFO, not a transactional CFO, but a Rainmaker CFO, to be able to be telling your, your story to investors at the same time as you're building and so on and so forth. You need those people because what it does is it enables you to leapfrog generational development. So yeah. you can go through it in a standard linear way, okay? Like I remember back with, with the low carb company, I sat there for almost three years sleeping on a factory floor trying to get that company going. And then sure enough, finally figured it out. We had some luck, we had certain press and it just blew, blew out of the doors. I mean, it started flying, flying, flying. 
But with, you know, creating a, a, and building and, and actually taking that product, you need to have those other people involved because when they're involved from the beginning, whether it's biz dev, whether it's marketing, um, whether it is uh, the UIX, UIUX from the very beginning, whether it's social uh, for tapping that market and creating the community, even if it's a small community, those all have input on that creation of the product. And that product is fundamentally different than what you would create sitting in your own hole, trying to figure it out and building uh, it yep. your way. Mm -hmm. Because then you listen to the markets and you get feedback. Your goal as a CEO or the founders is to really just talk to the damn market nonstop. Mm -hmm. That's what you're, you should be doing, talking to the market and just getting other people that are a lot smarter than you to build it. That's what I do. I and find people that are all That's what we have been talking about. about. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I the tell way. them what I need, and they create it way better than I ever thought could be possible. Yeah, yeah that's what we have been talking about. I mean, uh, okay, we could take our company up to a certain level. After that, we need people who are smarter than us. Yep. Yeah. You know? and, and, and again, that are vehemently um, e emotionally invested in the success of that product Vim, or service. Vested interest market. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That's just it. That's just it. And like right, we talk about it, it's well, like, well, it's. Well, think about it this way, okay? First of all, doctors have money, all right? So yeah. there's another VIM like with investor VIM. So at some point in time, a capital raise, if it's down the road, it's easy, all right? You've already got people that already have a God complex and think they know everything and they have money. So those are the easiest markets to penetrate if you know how to do it. So you already have a, a ready, willing, and able people that would fund that because they're mm -hmm. going to get the issue. They're going to get the problem. Yep. So now you've just got to create something, even in the beginning stages, that that creates zealot owners, creates want them to be part of this in an extreme way. You don't need to create the Taj Mahal. What is the number one pain point that they're dealing with? And just hit that like a hammer over the head, you know? Yep. I mean, just attack yep. that one thing. Yep. That's what we are trying to do, yeah. yeah. Mm. Now I'm thinking. <laughs> At least that's what I was yeah no no this is this is it this is this is i hope people are listening to this because uh even before we met how many times have had i sit down had i started sitting down an idea after idea but every time i get excited i get to the point that that point at which you come up against that insurmountable object of thinking well that's the that's the extent of my knowledge now i got to go out and find someone to do this for me someone to do that but, but for hear me. me out haven't you ever said to yourself and maybe maybe it, it's not everybody okay you're dealing with an and listen you have a child with down syndrome okay yeah. i've been a volunteer at special olympics forever i can tell you stories my wife has been too we met at a special needs camp everything else and and you'd love all those stories and everything else okay but you and I both know that as a parent of, of a child with Down syndrome, there came a time when you didn't have all this information. You oh, were yeah. scared. You didn't know how to operate. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know what the next steps were. You had days where you wanted to rip your hair out or cry uh, because you didn't know what to do. Well, guess what? It's the same damn thing as being a founder. The exact same yep. thing. That's oh, all yeah. it is. So yep. you just jump into it, you do it. And because you're a human being with a brain, the universe has already given you all the tools that you need. You just have to go use them and trust life. That's what it is. Trust life. Yeah. Yep. Use your brain, Manny. I tell them that Sorry, every day. Sorry, I should shut up. I'm on, the, I'm on my pulpit. <laughs> no, I want people, you know, with bigger brains, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, smarter brain. Gosh, you know, like now I'm all fired I'm up. I'm all sweaty. Brain. I just want to I relax like now. Somebody turned up the thermostat. I just want to go <laughs> start a new business. I'm not. I'm not joking. I got <laughs> the juices are flowing. No, I. I can remember. I think I've told you this story years ago. This is probably 2008, 2009 ish. I was working for the Boy Scouts of America. I was a district executive, but I was. T- I was getting. I was fed up. I was fed up with kind of the, but I, I just kind of opened my eyes to kind of the possibilities of stuff. I told Manny, I read this book. Actually, I listened to the book, Think and Grow Rich, a bunch. It totally shifted my mindset about possibilities. Sure. And I, I started coming up with plans, right? A positive mental attitude, started about thinking things I could do, and things just started growing. And I had this idea, like, I, I, was, I was getting into shape. I was doing it in a different way. I was like, I can start something. So I literally did, I had paper all over the place, but I, I planned out from from $0 to $4 billion within two years, how it was going to be done, how the network was going to be built, who was going to be doing what, how much, you know, what they had to be doing in different markets. And, and I did all this. And the sad thing is I can't tell you why I stopped. I think it might've been, I went I went to a meeting. I, I, met, I went with a small business uh, investment you know, organization in my local community and be like, okay, here's what I, here's what I need to get this part of the wheel turn. And they're like, nope. Did you do this? Did you do this market research? Have you done like, yeah, I did all that, but it was just like this blunt. And had I, had I been like, I'm going to sign up for Gusher. Yeah. So when I was nine years old, I, I remember literally nine years old. All right. I, I created this great new idea for a car break. It wasn't great, yeah. right? But I created this great new idea for a car break. I drew it out, did everything else. I took it to my mom. And my mom said, hey, that's great. That's awesome. Why don't you go tell your stepfather? Now, my stepfather was an electrical engineer, all right? And so, you know, I went to go show it to my stepfather. I didn't want to because I really didn't like the guy. Uh, but literally, I went ahead and showed him uh, my drawing and everything else. And sure enough, he shit on it. He shit on it so horribly, so badly, it made such an impression. And, you know, my gut wasn't to go ahead and shrink down and say, oh, yeah, you're right. My gut was to tell him to go F off because I don't know why, but I'm wired that way. And so I just said, screw you. No, F off. And I was nine years old. I probably shouldn't have said that and done everything else. Uh, But that's what I did. And so, you know, when it comes down to the ideas in your head, yeah, maybe they're not viable. Maybe there's all these other reasons why you shouldn't do it. But I tend to think that those ideas that even they are crappy and whatever else, those and I said it earlier, those are the ones that lead to the mind. They lead to the good stuff. That is the path. I think that's literally what we're given as human beings as a gift. That stuff that when you look in the mirror and you think about that idea and you smile, that's important. That's really yep. important. When you go to bed thinking about that idea, that's important. When you wake up thinking about the idea or you're in the bathroom, it's important. That That's us letting out our, 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 our potential. That's the screaming. It's our essence to get out. And so that's what you should be doing, going ahead and letting that, that potential out, fulfilling it. And if it fails, it fails. You tried it. So what? Right. Yep, that's right. Well, hell. Yeah, I like, you know, I like you. I like your enthusiasm. You know, like <laughs> the way you're talking, you know, like it's like, you know, I don't want to sit here. I just want I to, you know, go out and sit on my computer and start something new. Yep. Well, yeah. listen to this. So I had a founder, two we- I had a founder two weeks ago call me mm-hmm. in New York. All right. He's from South Africa, another South African deal. I don't know how, how you get to- <laughs> So we uh, from South Africa. He's from South Africa, but he was in New York City. 
He was actually an hour outside of New York City. So he goes ahead and said, Chris, I'm stuck at a train station because we were supposed to meet in Midtown because I'm down in Philly, but I was going up for the day because we had a lot of deals every day. I was financings and stuff going on. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? He goes, well, I can't get my funds. My funds have been frozen. I can't access my funds. So I said, okay, well, hold up. And we ended up Venmoing him, you know, a, a hundred bucks or whatever the hell just for him to get into the city. Uh, he comes into the city. Later, I found out the story. He's in the U.S., uh, he's going bouncing from city to city, Atlanta, San Francisco, New York, doing whatever. He did it all with zero dollars because he fundamentally believes that his ability to get that deal done, and, and he does, he's cranking, is able to be done because he's here, put on earth to get this idea out there. He fundamentally yeah. believes it. And literally, he's not on the street. He has houses over his head. He's got food. He's got everything going. He came here with nothing. I mean, nothing. He's got his team. He's going. He's doing it. He just told me he got a seed investor for the next round for him uh, doing it in a formal way. So he's good to go. Trust life. People find it yep. so hard to trust Get life. Get after it. Get after it. And and getting kicked in the teeth is part of it. It's part of it. I mean, I so it many furnace. people, yeah, so many people avoid it. You know, I... I learned a while ago the whole that whole line of comfort and stress and everybody avoids stress, but there's that part right above stress below like distress, like you're tearing up things. There's that you stress level, like that's where you want to live. Like you want to live there. You want to live in an uncomfortable place because that's the only place you grow. Like, I mean, yeah, we call know, it like, fun comfortable because yeah, right? yeah it's fun a bitch. I mean, it's yeah. a furnace, but th yeah. think about it. You go into a furnace, you either turn to ash or you anneal and you become hard and you turn into something else. I mean, yeah, something stronger, stronger something better. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, you know, you got to like, do the difficult shit. The, you got to do the hard shit. Yeah. yeah. The way I think about stress, I mean, I don't think stress as a stress. I mean, every stress is a challenge for me. Okay. Right. You know, that's how, you know, like you overcome things, you know, like, but people over here, you know, like, or, you know, everywhere else, you know. Well, everybody seeks yeah, comfort. Yeah, that's yeah, what they're, they're yeah, seeking comfort. Yeah, and that's stress. the wrong I mean, mentality. Yeah, yeah. If you think of it as a challenge that you have to overcome, you know, like you can overcome anything and you won't be stressed. But, uh, Manny, I also think that comes from overthinking it. I, you know, I fundamentally believe that that people would be way better off that when they're making a decision, if they made that decision once and then never visited it mm -hmm. again. Meaning yep. that, okay, you made, you made the effort, Brian, or a decision to start that company. And then you got shot down by somebody else and they started putting doubt in your head it. and you started yeah. listening to those voices. The fact of the matter is if you had a philosophy that was, well, I made this decision, I'm going down this road, doesn't matter what happens to me, we're going to see where the hell it leads, that then you would have found out, you know? Yep. It, it's and that's like, my mentality now. It's My mentality is literally doesn't matter. Yeah, oh, we didn't exactly. make it? Doesn't matter. Moving on. Doesn't matter. Let's go. You know, Take oh, the pain, they didn't on. call. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, you know what? They didn't show up for the... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're going to win anyway. That's right. It. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. A hundred percent. Yep. All right. I don't. Even, I. Jeez, man. I'm all fired up. I don't even want to do this podcast anymore. I tell you what. <laughs> I tell you what. Oh, you know what? I'm going to bring up the topic that I brought up before you came on. So I was listening to Patrick Bet David. You heard of him? No. He has a podcast. He's a. Uh, he's a, he's this kind of person, right? He's just he came over here uh, to the states, young from Iran, started a, a insurance company, sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars, and now he's started this media company. Really cool guy, really cool story. But he was talking about so the whole little short snip on YouTube was that you know an entrepreneur in India had kind of put out there via either social, he had some sort of influence on a lot of people over there, but. 
that if, if India is going to become a major economic power and surpass like the China's and stuff like that in production and things that they need to consider moving from like a 40 to 40 some odd hour work week to a 70 hour work week. And so the top of the discussion was, you know, this is going to, some people are going to get fired up, people who really like to work and like, hey, get after it as long as it takes. And then you're going to have the other people who are like, oh, but you're going to, you're going to hurt their lifestyle and it's going to be bad for their mental health and, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And, and I tend to disagree with those guys talking about, hey, your mental health is going to be just fine. If you're busy and working hard and you're tired when you get home, you stay out of trouble, you get home. You fall into the house, fall asleep, wake back up, get after it again. And if you if you know that you're 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 making you know, traction. Yeah, you know, like right now the divorce rate maybe like is 10, 20 percent in India. It will be like 60, 70 percent if they just go home and just fall asleep on the bed. Yeah, you know, but here's the thing about it too. I mean, and let me, I want to get your thought on this, Chris, too, because I, I, I tend to follow the the Pareto principle or the uh you know, the uh, the what is it, the um the 10% of everything is crap, basically. Like, you know, most people are only going to do as much in a work environment in their life that's not going to get them fired or killed. <laughs> you know, okay. the, there's there's never going to be a high percentage of people that are going to be overachieving in the first place. It's just the way the world works. To put it out there, hey, if, you, if you're a country and an economy who wants to, you know, surpass your peers, are you, are you willing to put in the work it's going to take to do that? I don't know if it's even a willingness to do the work. I, I think it's fundamentally a philosophy even going back further. It's how people are taught. So, you know, the, the question is, what are they taught? How are they taught to learn? And what are they learning? Because, you know, you always hear these generational differences and whatever it may be. Oh, this generation doesn't think like this. And this generation isn't mm. hardworking. And it's just, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. I mean, the fact of the matter is uh, people have self-respect. People like to do what's right. When you get to a certain age, you can't deal with the games anymore of being a kid. You, you have to go ahead and earn what you want and what you do. But there's a serious price between... Uh, paying the price for what you want and doing the absolute minimum just to survive. And if somebody wants to do the absolute minimum just to survive and play video games, God bless them if that's all they want yeah. out of life. I, I can't live that way, you know? Yeah, but and, don't have the expectation that that's going to put you somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, don't have the expectation of that you're going to live this great lifestyle if that's going to be what you're willing to put into it. Sure. So I think I mean, there's a, a race, big disconnect there. It, it's a race to the bottom, but who the hell wants to talk about a race to the bottom? I mean, for me, in, inspirational-wise, you know, I don't, I don't view people in, in any way, shape, or fashion that don't choose the path that I do. Um, it's something that almost I, I didn't have a choice. So I yeah. wonder if, you know, it, it, the wiring is there that they, they aren't, don't have a choice for what they do. I don't know. I don't try to understand people anymore uh, because when it comes down to it, the fact of the matter is, you know, we can go ahead and sit there and try to prognosticate and forecast and talk about uh, India's economy and this and that. But I don't think it's India's economy. I, I look at it as one company. What is what is that one person, that one founder? What are yeah. they trying to do? Because it's from that person's DNA that everything else is going to sprout out from. It's from that person's belief structure and philosophy that everything else is going to spring up from. It's from that person's efforts and their outbound that everything else is going to spring up around. So, yes, I, I get all these sub workers and employees and everything else. But the fact of the matter is it's the per people or person that started the company uh, that to me, that's the, that's the altar uh, uh, that I worship at is the people that start things, because to me, right. that that's the progress of humanity. Everybody else can go enjoy their uh, TikTok and everything else that they wish. So. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, like I'm much more on like, let's not. 
I, I don't I wouldn't get behind mandating a 70 hour work week but I, what I would get yeah. behind is that company that says you know what we're gonna get out there and we're gonna kick some butt and we're gonna do this you guys on board I'm gonna do it you guys gonna do it we're all gonna do this and you bec- they become the standard and that shows now somebody's gonna want to be able to beat or meet that standard so they're gonna learn from them and do the same things and, and that's it's called the competition and it, who right. wins yeah. I mean the, the, the customer wins the people win everybody wins because it it's makes like, things better. It's like anything in the product market. You take electric vehicles, for instance. You know, like, I don't think it takes the government to mandate it that it needs to be these. Listen, if it's a viable product and it's better than what's available, people will buy it and they will buy it for a lot more mm-hmm. and then it will grow and it will eventually eat the rest of the market. But as you can see, that's not happening that quickly. Absolutely. So a second well, you start some things, things have a higher yeah. barrier to entry. Some things have an elasticity of demand. Uh, yep. And that's what it comes down to. I mean, the fact of the matter is if gasoline was $100 a gallon, well, guess what? Then that stuff would maybe be looking a lot better. But it doesn't, right. you know? So people don't want it. Yep, that's right. Cool. All right. Um, Manny, you got any anything from the other segment you want to you chat, chat with uh, with Chris about? I thought we were going to talk about cricket. I have a whole screen on my computer. Oh, we are. That's the next segment. Oh, we are going to talk about cricket. You know about cricket? I don't know a damn thing about it, but I know that he has won five in a row. Yeah. All right, let's talk cricket then. Let's talk sports. Before we get to cricket, what's your sport of choice, Chris? Uh, Honestly, weightlifting. That's what my background is, just weightlifting. It's boring stuff. Just lift a hell of a lot of weight. That's what I do, so... So are, do you like do bodybuilding or like uh, have you ever at, done at shows and age, stuff it was, or what? It was basically bodybuilding, yeah, primarily. Yeah. But r- right now it's just getting the kids very uh, a good base of weight training, solid so they can do anything they want. Yeah, very cool. Like uh, I tried to get – when Manny and I first went into business together, I tried to get him you – know, we were like, let's go to the gym because we didn't have a lot of work to do yet. We we're working, but we had yeah. to get away from the office, go to the gym. And like I had just started to train for a, my first Spartan race. And ah, I did that. I did that in South Carolina in the, like their first or second year, and I ran yeah. through primordial ooze. I finished in the top one percent. I was oh, when I was nice forty something. Yeah, I can't remember what the hell it was. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've only done it that one time, but I was like, I want to do it. I want it to be a super. So it was like between nine and eleven miles. Yep, that's what and I was. I I committed six months beforehand. I've signed up for it, paid for it. I'm like, I'm, I had a coach who was telling me, you got to commit or you're going to back out. So I committed. I, I found a training program. And in that program was, you know, there was a lot of lifting, uh, but there was some, there was some track work and stuff. So I had to meet me at the track one day and we were like running laps and I brought a, a, some weights and dumbbells and barbells out there. And we were doing in between things to simulate the different, the different uh, things you have to do in the race. And <laughs> Mandy, he never, trained with me again <laughs> that that listen we had to do I, like i remember going to the spartan and at, at the beginning of the race there were these people wearing the vibram shoes when they first came out with the toes oh, yeah and a half a mile in they all dropped out just because of the terrain we were over and my oh, uh, yeah. friend of mine who we ended up training and doing it together uh we just looked at each other and started cracking up because they were all falling off like like you know dead flies it was crazy yeah because it's not you're not running on a flat surface at all ever not at all that's crazy yeah yeah so i couldn't get him to do the spartan race with me but he trained a little bit but then he broke out and he see wouldn't yeah. he's like I, I, I find that that i find that if you put a, a couple hundred pounds above your body in any way shape or fashion at 5 a.m every morning it kind of makes the rest of the day a hell of a lot a lot easier, easier. Yeah. A hell of a lot easier. yep yep okay so let's get into cricket Let's get into cricket. 
So what's going on this what's going on this weekend? Are, are they play, is India playing this weekend? We've been following. Oh yeah, I mean so yeah, I mean the cricket World Cup is now about to end. So most probably by November nineteenth, I believe oh, that's that when the final yeah finals are. So all teams have almost played like eight of out of their nine league matches, but the top four, I mean three are decided. The fourth one is you know like still in a limbo. You know like how the other countries perform, how the other teams perform. That will decide between three teams i think so right now in the top uh, three are india new zealand and australia the team who won the world cup last time la- last time mm-hmm. you know four years ago they are at the last at the bottom of the who is it who was it last time it was like you know england england won, but they're they're terrible yeah, now yeah yeah i mean you know I, I i made a prediction you know like at the start of this uh, world cup that england will be like will be the top four contenders but surprisingly, you know, they are at the bottom of it. India is doing pretty well. I never imagined that India will do this well. I mean, they have won all their league matches and they will have their last match most probably tomorrow. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's so far, it's kind of boring, you know, like, okay, <laughs> India is winning all their matches so easily. It's like, you know, like, yeah. You're saying you want them to experience a loss here so that they... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I don't like this, you know, like they're winning all <laughs> their matches and suddenly, you know, they will lose their final match. No, I don't want that. So, yeah, at least one of their league matches, I want them to lose. They will still be at the top of the table. So, yeah. Wow. They have a lot more points than anyone else. I'm looking at the screen right now. So, the closest is 12 and they've got 16. That's substantial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's essentially. I mean, they have won all their matches, and that too pretty convincingly. I mean, they dominated every, you know, cricket playing nation in this World Cup. Okay, every so cricket playing nation. Is there any drama going on with the team or anything like that? Or? Oh yeah, other teams, especially Pakistan, our arch rival. They, <laughs> the people in that country, you know, they're saying whenever India is bowling, bowling, you know, like the the empires, you know, the. ICC, which is the International Cricket Counseling uh, Council, you know, like they are giving them a different ball because their balls are swinging so much, they cannot believe that. Oh, okay. So yeah. they're cheating. Yeah, that's what, you know, like, okay, you know, putting losers, you know, <laughs> losers will always, you know, like find ways. But is to that really cheating? Loss. Come on. That's <laughs> <not>. <laughs> it's skill, you know, like, okay, yeah, we this time we have a really good team. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfectly balanced team. We have great batsmen's like you know in your baseball terminology they are great hitters great pitchers which are like bowlers and then we have great fielders so it's a perfectly balanced team so far i mean they have won all their match so it looks like a perfectly balanced team hmm. yeah well we're going to celebrate when they win right oh yeah absolutely i think you should celebrate even if they don't win Oh yeah, I think so too. We should, we should. Just... I mean, you know, for us, you know, like okay, you know, like every country has an arch rival in game. Like you know, in your ice hockey, you have Canada, I guess, right? I guess I don't. Pay yeah. So you know, in cricket, India's arch rival is Pakistan, and personally, like I would say, like ninety percent of the Indians say that you know, like if India has won against against Pakistan, we have won the World Cup. That's we don't, all you need. You yeah, it doesn't matter Pakistan. if they lose all their matches, rest of the matches. <laughs> yeah, we just want to won, you have to win. win you know. game. And since the last eight World Cups, we have not not lost even a single you know like match in the World Cup to Pakistan. Pakistan, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, not much of a rival if they never beat you. No, I mean you know like their record 
you know apart from the world cup is pretty good good against us yeah. but in only in the world yeah, cup matters. they have never been able to beat us <laughs> even at you know like the time when they won the world cup the, the only match they lost was to us yeah so basically they won the world cup but we won the world cup before them okay yeah when's so, it over yeah. uh it's i think it's november 19th that's wow. when the final it's yeah final up. is happening yeah So you don't play many sports. Oh, that's okay, but you Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm in really Philadelphia cool. and I married an Irish uh, redhead from here. So I I'm in a sports family. That's kind of Okay, crazy, so you're I, in a sports family. So, so so tell me about this the outside of lifting. What are the other folks in the family like? Uh there well, I mean they've got season seats at the Phillies, of course, every damn okay, year. Okay, Phillies. Uh yeah. but I mean you don't go even even say that you like any other football team other than the Eagles. It doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm trying to get a Phillies hat actually, a fitted Phillies maroon. I want the maroon hat with the 80s P logo. Yeah. It's a little 80 with the ball. It's hard. You can't find a maroon Phillies hat online. My wife's been looking. She says I I shouldn't go try to buy it cuz she's going to find it for me, but I just like the look of it. I kind of collect those MLB hats, but yeah, see I'm a Cowboys fan. I grew up in Texas. So, um I you know I don't. I only dislike the Eagles when we play them. That's how I am with most teams. <laughs> so you But, really loved them last week, Cud. Huh? Yeah, man. Hey, it was a competitive game. I was worried it was going to turn into a track race, you know, a track meet, and we weren't going to be running in the meet. So, but it was competitive. So, you know, it might go different when they come to Dallas. Who knows? Well, uh, Eagles fans say there's nothing like beating Dallas. <laughs> That's what everybody says, Chris. That's what the Every- Packer fans say. Here America's in team, huh? That's what. Everybody says, you know, there's everybody gets their Super Bowl when they play Dallas because as long as they win, it's they're happy. You know, <laughs> that, that's pretty so arrogant, Dallas Brian. That's But, pretty. That, that's well, like a Dallas know, fan, typically. Well, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like because I've never met someone where I've been like, "Hey, I'm a Cowboys fan," and they'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." You just like, oh. Not the Cowboys. How could you like the Cowboys? And I've got to defend it and say, "Hey, I was born in Texas." It's kind of like what you got to do is either them or the Oilers in the exactly. '80s. Exactly. Like, no, and they're they're not even around anymore. So, yeah, everybody, you know, no one ever feels like, "Oh, okay, you like like someone could say I'm a KC fan. I like the I like the Chiefs, or I like the Vikings, or I like the Bears, or I like the Eagles." I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." So it's great in, in this American football. Like, which are the like most famous teams? Like, first. Well, top four you know the most valuable team time. is the cowboys if you oh. come to value <laughs> it's the most valuable team when it comes to financial value mm. is the cowboys but um i don't you know it's hard to it's really it, it i think i think there's been some studies when it comes like who's got the most spread out fans um i think i think dallas is there but Green Bay is actually one of them, believe it or not. I think it's because all the old people that all the people that get old and leave Green Bay, they all go to like Florida and they all go to the warm cities and they're still Packer fans. You can probably find a Packer bar in almost every city in the country. That's how the that's how the Packers are. No, the, the reason I'm asking because you know, like, okay, uh, uh, in baseball, all over the world, people know about you know, like uh, New York Jets or like Yankees. You oh, know, yeah, like, yeah, Yankees. You know, Yankees. you know they know all about so in in american football which is the like most famous team of top four you know famous teams of all time okay go ahead chris tell them well it depends on your definition you're going to say new england and recently or you're going to say dallas i mean it's really yeah. one or the other <laughs> i'd yeah, say dallas time. yeah so dallas so, yeah. is the top uh, and it, uh, you know what it was it's not necessarily like they've been a successful team over the years they've been terrible the last 20 years or yeah. more but It's all it's all marketing. It's all mar- sales and marketing. When that team was built, Tech Schramm, 
and then all those guys they just went nuts and they called it america's team they weren't yep. america's team because everybody called them it was all marketing they got the, it, it's probably more more from the cheerleaders than the football players you know back in the, the 60s and 70s but it was all spin all marketing that's how they became but brian who has the best fans Notice I didn't say mm. Rudis fans, Brian. Not yeah, it's probably Rudis. not. Yeah, it's probably not us. It's probably not us. But I, it's hard. For, like, I would, I would say because I've experienced it. Like, I've never been to a Phillies game in Philly, but like living, growing up the last, being in last twenty plus years in Wisconsin area, Packer fans are bonkers, man. They're, have, they're you not been, violent. have you ever been up? They're the not Green violent Bay? bonkers. There, I have never come across. Uh, a group of people, professional, collegiate, and college fans get crazy too. They build their whole life. I've never come across a group of people outside of Packer fans that literally build their whole life around the team. Everything is predicated on Packers. Really? Do they have a jail wow. in their stadium? <laughs> oh, that's the violent. That's the violent part. Like, I don't think any Packer fans ever beat up Santa Claus. I'm so, gonna say that. Yeah, it always comes down to throwing sa- snowballs at Santa. Yeah, Santa. <laughs> so, Chris, do they have a jail in you know, like in Philly stadiums? Well, I, I, I can't remember if it was in the old. I think a lot of stadiums stadium. actually have holding pens for yeah. crazy people. Philly, yeah. <laughs> okay. so, Philly's Philly fans are notorious for being well. Uh, not too welcoming to the other teams. They're pretty brutal. So that's the city of brotherly love, right there. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you like their teams. Okay. Yeah, there's no option. You have to like their teams, right? So now that's cool. You're our second second guest from Philly. Um, Cut in, yeah. Yeah, she was from Philly. She was a great guest too. She was a, a um, IP lawyer. So informational, oh. information property, all that kind of stuff. Yep. NIL, you know, all that stuff going on with name, image, likeness, that kind of stuff. No doubt. She was really cool. All right. I think we're going to wrap things up here. We're just over an hour. This has been a great show. This might have been my favorite. Um, my heart rate got probably the highest. I'm probably the most motivated to get up off my keister and get after it. Life is yeah. short, my friend. Life is short. Yeah. <laughs> All right, bud. We already we're already on Gusher on our computer, so we're just gonna create some accounts and get rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to help you in any way. Reach out if you need anything, but we're gonna be proactive if you're there. So we reach out anyway. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Maybe you know down the road we'll have you on again sometime, and we'll uh, we'll talk next level stuff. Sounds good. Nice meeting you Sounds guys. Good. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.